It is the 200 level, Mike Carpenter from the basement for episode 83. As of yet untitled, I guess I just can do the titles at the end of it. So you'll see it on your phone or on your dashboard. Right now I don't got one, but it is a Friday, a beautiful Friday. Finally feels a little bit like summer out there. And we have Jordan Burnfield coming on in just a bit to talk with him about a wide range of subjects. He is, of course, a commentator on, well, you name the outlet. He's probably been on it. ESPN, uh, CSN, NBC, Sports Network, Big Ten Network. I think he's done basically everything. But also a good friend that usually in the summer, I will run into Jordan at Dave Matthews Band concerts. And now, naturally, we're going to have to talk a little bit about that, but we won't bore you with those details. We'll talk a lot of sports. And what do you do when you're an announcer during a pandemic? How do you scratch that itch? Now, for me, it's easy to come down here, flip on the mics, talk for a little bit, and that scratches the itch for me. But for someone that has to call live sports like he does, and he does so well, it's a different ballgame or a lack of any ballgame whatsoever. So we got a lot to talk about today as it's been not the most sports heavy week in terms of news. We've had busier weeks, certainly with Kofi and Io and the news with that, Alan Griffin, which I think is well over a month ago when that news came out. But it's a good news, bad news situation again for Illinois basketball and football. Now, I will start as I usually do with Illinois basketball and then gradually move into Illinois football, where there were a mix of good and bad things to come out this last week for Lovey Smith and this program. But before we get into it, i got to remind you that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. Order online for all the best deals and prices at dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. And whether it's a custom zone where you can put any toppings you want to in it, or one of the crowd favorites like the buffer zone, which is what we had so often back in college, dpdo.com, again, the best deals and prices where they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So you stay at home, they bring the deliciousness to you, dpdo.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level or the 200 level to get 10% off your order. And here's the deal. This is something that goes on all the time at fourthandkirby.com. Buy two shirts, get one free. That's right. Buy two shirts, get one free. And as we enter the summer months, so many t-shirts to choose from. High quality stuff. I highly recommend it because I have a couple of those t-shirts myself. Fourthandkirby.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, renters, business. They are insurance experts, but more than that, they also have your local interest at heart. All the representatives at Brian Hansen State Farm Agency, they're local. Champaign-Urbana, born and raised, all that good stuff. So check them out at brianismyguy.com. Also, Alani Inquire and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. All right, we got the particulars out, and let's start with Illinois basketball. And we don't have the official word on this yet. I'm guessing it will come out maybe even right after we post this podcast, as Jeremy Warner has posited before, and I don't disagree. Usually you record something like this, and then something happens. But there is some excitement in terms of a transfer that could be a big addition for this team coming up, and that's Chandi Brown. He's a senior, or going to be a senior, I should say, transferring out of Wake Forest. Now, just yesterday, the news came out that the NCAA board, you know, these fat cats that sit somewhere in Indianapolis and make these decisions, I guess, decided that the one-time transfer deal that was going on, that ain't going to happen. And when I first read that, I freaked out a little bit, thinking that this might apply to Chandi Brown. The difference, though, is that he will be able to apply for a waiver because his coach was fired. And I think more often than not, that's not an issue. Okay, If he decides he wants to come to Illinois, it shouldn't be a problem, and he should be able to go for this year. And it would be a huge addition because I know that I've said before that the wing position with these two transfers that you had sitting in the wings already, Hutcherson and Grandison, you feel okay about it, especially because they were somewhat proven commodities where they came from. 
But they're more offensive guys, shooters. And I love that this team is going to have the shooting and the length that really last year's team did not necessarily have. With a Chandi Brown, you're getting like Kipper on steroids. You're getting someone that is a decent shooter. I think about 31% from three, which I think would have been good for second on the team last year, but also a good rebounder and a balanced scorer and a good defender. Now, we would recall, if you really take a deep dive back to Brad Underwood's first year, you would have faced Chandi Brown and Wake Forest and Danny Manning, and that would have been the Mark Smith team that I think had the lead for most of that game and then Wake Forest to control the end. It was a frustrating loss, I know that, because I think Illinois might have been just a one loss or maybe even undefeated at that point. As the seasons have went on, Chandi Brown has turned out to be a really consistent player. 11, 12 points per game, I think about five rebounds per game, and again, defensively pretty strong because of that length and athleticism. So a proven commodity from a Power 5 school. And if you look at this situation that Illinois is in that is encouraging to me, it's that maybe they have the ability now to sort of pick and choose the guys that they want on the transfer market. Case in point, there were two wing positions or two wing guys from Western Michigan and I want to say Radford, and their names already escape me. And this happens every time there's a transfer market, you fall in love with this prospect or that prospect, and then time goes on, they go somewhere else, and you move on. But you're finding out maybe that Illinois just was waiting on something like this. Maybe they had their tentacles out far enough for other guys like a Chandi Brown where they didn't take the kids from Western Michigan and Radford. Now, that might be me projecting, right? That might be this eternal optimism that I've suddenly found for Illinois basketball, specifically because of the staff and their ability to recruit, where I'm thinking, well, I mean, this makes perfect sense, right? They just waited it out to get their guy a much better prospect than what they would have gotten three, four weeks ago. And maybe there's some truth to that, but I think they get a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. Their ability to identify talent and to bring it in rather quickly. It seems like when they identify their guys, they get that commitment sooner rather than later. And we've seen that time and time again, really within the last year and a half. And now you get the transfer market going. Achandi Brown is someone that will be an immediate impact player that might even be a starter next year. Because again, we don't know what we have with the Hutcherson and Grandison. We're optimistic from all the words coming out of camp, but we were also optimistic about Alex Legion. So we always need to be a little bit careful to jump the gun on that. But it has been done before by Chandi Brown. And I know the ACC, we can make the argument, how good are they compared to the Big Ten? It's a Power Five conference. He's playing the likes of Duke and North Carolina. And that is something that will translate, at least has a higher degree that it will translate than a Hutcherson and Grandison. So finally, at the wing position, if you do land Chandi Brown, you feel very solid right there. Is his ceiling as high as Alan Griffin's would have been? Probably not. Especially offensively, Alan Griffin was probably primed to have a breakout year. And he had breakout moments this year, the game at Northwestern being one of them, but became such an important part of that team. I don't want to sell that short and just say, well, we lost Alan Griffin, but no worries. We got two transfers that were sitting in the wings and we get Chandi Brown all as well. Maybe they don't reach the heights of an Alan Griffin. But that depth, I think, plays into what this team's strength will be. At the guard position, you have a pretty nice mix, assuming Io doesn't come back, with Adam Miller, Andre Curbelo, Demonte Williams, and Trent Frazier. Four deep at the guard position. At the wing, now you're going three deep. If you go the traditional, you know, three small forward position, you go three deep right there with Hutcherson, Grandison, and now, hopefully, Chandy Brown. But there's some of those guys that could even play at the four, as we saw last year. Kipper could play at the four, even though he was about 6'5", 6'6". Then it comes down to Kofi. 
right? I mean, Georgie, we know will be here. Coleman Hawkins will be an interesting guy to add. I don't know if we think Hamlin's going to be much of an impact player on this team. But if Kofi comes back, I'm telling you right now, this is a top four team in the Big Ten again. And that's without Io, without Andres Feliz, and without Alan Griffin. That's how much confidence I have in the two guards you are bringing in, in Trent Frazier's ability to have a bounce-back senior year, and that the wing position will take care of itself, with Kofi being the centerpiece. That's if Kofi comes back. If he doesn't, yeah, your weakness would be your center position. And maybe Georgie can make a big leap this year. He's got plenty of time this offseason to work out. I saw him working out one time around the six-pack as we were walking Rosie. And he, he was getting after it. It was like this, uh, he had music playing and was doing this sort of calisthenic aerobic thing. And, you know, he's got time to maybe figure this thing out. And I think that he will have a bounce back junior year almost by default with how bad that sophomore year was. We know that he's capable offensively of being a decent player. But that would be the position of concern. Overall, though, that's still a team that, to me, says NCAA tournament. And in this long-term sustainability project, that's what you want. You want year-in, year-out tournament appearances, and even though we didn't officially have that this year, we all know what that team was. They were a tournament team, and it looks like this staff has them primed for yet another appearance next year. So that's the good news, right? Again, and that could come out as you're listening to this podcast. That could have come out by the time you even put this thing on your phone or in your car, wherever you listen to this, that Chandi Brown commits to Illinois, but that seems to be where all the buzz is going, and it is reason to be excited that this staff, yet again, found someone that can come in, make an immediate impact. And the way that these have gone so far, especially looking at an Andres Feliz, Juco Player of the Year, I mean, he had his credentials, but you're starting to see they have more hits than misses. And that's an encouraging thing as we go forward. And then you have Illinois football. I'm not one for transitions. We're just going to go straight from it. Basketball to football. And a little bit of good news this week. They get a wide receiver out of Miami, Hightower, who will be eligible in 2021. I think have two years left. Former top 200 recruit. Listen, transfer you. I get the thing that they're trying to go with. Okay, that's an okay addition at a position of need, especially for 2021. And then you also get this kid from Mississippi State. Let me pull up his name real quick. But he will be a four-year player, it looks like, at the offensive line position. And that's something, again, that is going to add depth. That's uh, Brevin Jones. Sorry. So you add these two guys within the last couple of days, and that's good news. The coaches are all excited on Twitter. I think they have reason to be because these are power five caliber players. And that's good news. Let's not try to spin it any other way. That is good news. They're good additions. I can't just sit down here and continually rag on them without giving them credit for the good things that they do, the talent that they bring in. And as Jeremy Warner talked about a couple weeks ago on the show, yes, the individuals they brought in, and you could probably list six, seven, eight of them, are higher talent than anything that Beckman would have brought in. But it's the depth concern, and that continues to be the concern even with these additions this week. Now, it certainly could happen that over the course of the next three, four weeks, there's just a rash of transfers that commit to Illinois. It becomes increasingly clear that that's the identity that the staff is going with in terms of recruiting, and that these four-year high school players, eh, whatever. And there is a little bit of context for something like this. Kansas State and Bill Snyder, that's the big one. Transfer you. And again, I know Jeremy wrote about that in his article a couple days ago. And it could work, right? There, There is that context that it has worked before at the Power 5 level. And you could even go back to Mike White and find that the Juco kids that he was bringing in, initially a Band-Aid, that brought them some pretty high success for about a three-year period. But that's just the point, right? Bill Snyder being able to sustain that at Kansas State, that might be the aberration. 
Mike White, who by all accounts was the coach. He brought all the excitement back, and people continue to talk about him like he's the greatest thing to ever happen to Illinois football, which, and certainly that mid-80s run is one of the better runs in Illinois football history, even though that's not saying all that much. Skinniest kid at fat camp argument right there. But that is the concern, sustainability, which is what I said about Illinois basketball earlier. It feels like the way that they are doing it, the mix of four-year players and impact transfers, that's sustainable. It seems like every class that they're going to get will include one major stud, okay? So we got the Io, Kofi, Adam Miller. That's a pretty good one, two, three punch. And let's not forget Andre Curbelo, who I think in the latest ESPN rankings was right around 40th in the nation, so he moved up. He's a four-year player, and even though he doesn't have the same buzz maybe as an Adam Miller, that's the guy, right? I think we all understand that. So going forward, it seems that each year you get at least one stud. You tend to get at least one impact transfer, and then you're starting to get the guys like Alan Griffin, who I know he's not here anymore, but that was a three-star kid out of New York that you identified that didn't have a lot of Power 5 offers at the moment, and you were able to hone in on him and bring him here. So it seems to me like the staff has a keen eye for developmental talent. And Georgie, I'll even throw him in there. You know, Two-star kid out of Jersey. Developmental talent, they have that on one hand for the guys that they know will be in this program for four to five years. Then they also have the high school four-year kids like an Andre Curbelo or Trent Frazier. We can even go back to that. That are going to be here for their entirety and be major cogs in this program. And then, of course, you have the centerpiece of each class. That is their template. They're doing it well, and that is sustainable. It is sustainable. And I look forward to seeing all the other guys they're going to get. It seems like when it comes to recruiting, that staff is well-balanced. Underwood's the closer, and that's something that we were concerned about going into it. But Orlando Antigua, Chin Coleman, and Stephen Gentry, that's a really good staff right there. So we feel confident about that. At least I do, and I think most Illini fans do as they go into next year and beyond. Sustainability, right? They have that because of a template, and they're executing that plan. With Illinois football, if the plan is, in fact, to just get a bunch of transfers and make that your thing, okay, we'll do it with panache and execute and bring in a bunch of transfers, and you might be able to get something going here. But the problem is there's not a lot of templates elsewhere that would suggest this works long term, and that if you want this to work, if you want to be transfer you, you still need to couple that with four-year players of consequence. Otherwise, this idea of sustainability, especially in football, where you have classes of 20 plus, can you really rely on guys that were either also rans at other schools that maybe were recruited by a power five school, but they couldn't cut it down at Mississippi State or Miami? And no offense to those kids. I think they'll be fine here. But it is a risk and probably a higher risk than, let's say, in Iowa or Wisconsin. They know the kinds of four year high school players they need to recruit and they go out and they do it. And that took time. But part of the whole sales job that Josh Whitman and Lovey Smith were telling us, the fan base, is that they were building a program. And even though they did not inherently say four-year high school players as part of that idea, it seems like when you brought in Lovey and the staff and all the kind of cleaning house they did, even with veterans on the roster, that they were suggesting, we are going to bring in our guys from the outset. We are going to overhaul this program and the culture. But the problem is it's been so slapdash here and there. It's scattered. It's been a scattered plan, and it seems like they're improvising as they go along. Now, it's better that they improvise and find some sort of band-aid to put on what was a major gaping wound. It's better that they do that than nothing at all. But the problem is... There is a chance that the 2019 football season was the aberration. But looking forward, it's that mix of on-field success and off-field momentum. 
And when they were not able to conjure up what they did last year into any sort of recruiting momentum, that to me was a concern. Now, they could come out gangbusters and they could go eight and four this year whenever that season may take place. They could. And if they did, that might be enough to get people to turn an eye back to this program. But it is troubling that that four-game stretch that they did have with Lovey Smith at the helm and making the money that he's making, even though, as time goes on, that is a fairly middle-of-the-pack salary, I think, in the Big Ten. But you would think all those factors would have come together for a 2021 class that would have said, guess what? They figured it out. And I felt pretty strongly, as I think a lot of us did in the middle of that four-game win streak, that they could parlay this into something. Even as someone cynical as I was about Lovey Smith in this program, they could parlay this into something. Take a wait-and-see approach. I went from cynical to cautiously optimistic, and that's a pretty wide range to go through. That's the fanboy in me that wants to believe that Lovey Smith and the staff could get it done because I don't want to go through the whole overhaul and get another coaching staff in here and hit the reset button again, which we so often do. I understand the risk involved with that. But if this transfer you thing is to work out, we need to see it and we need to see a higher number of guys to actually buy into that. You got two this week and that's fine. It's something to work with better than the one guy that you had in this entire class to begin with. Will they continue to add to it? That remains to be seen. I'm iffy on it. And at the end of the day, you're still going to be in the Big Ten West, the worst recruiting class in the Big Ten West. Unless we're all missing something and all the recruiting analysts and all the mathematics and data behind recruiting rankings are just wrong, which that's taking a big leap to say, well, they don't know what they're talking about. They know a little bit. Yes, we're getting some nice individual pieces, but that does not a program make, as I guess Yoda would say. You need more than that. And when we see the, uh, what's the opposite of influx? Outflux, would that even be a word? Of players after this next season or two? That is when you need to have the roster filled out. The numbers just don't add up right now. So that is going to be the challenge for this staff. The lack of momentum that they had, the template that they have instilled right now, which is, I guess, transfers. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But how optimistic are we that it actually would? One final thing that happened on Twitter, and you know, not to make a mountain out of a molehill, but I've talked before about Rod Smith and how he used to, I think it's been a while, but he used to kind of snap back at fans. And then there was, of course, the tweet after the Wisconsin game, which essentially said, well, if you don't want to get on the bandwagon, then, you know, go root for somebody else, which, okay, there are far worse things to tweet. Certainly not the end of the world. But my problem with it back then, as it is now with any coach going after fans is, first off, you have a fan base that has went through a lot with Illini football that is desperate for success. So to snap back at them when the on-field results have been middling at best doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The second thing is just why. You know, you're an adult, you're representing the state university, and just be better than that. There are going to be fans, just like when I was on 93.5, there'd be listeners or something that certainly I would engage with sometimes. But at the same time, I never felt that I was representing something as big as the University of Illinois. I could respond as an individual without it necessarily seeping into anything that Lon or Jeremy or Trevor, Harry, anybody else is doing, right? The thing is, when an assistant coach or any coach on that staff replies to a fan, they are essentially representing the program and the state of the program as it is right now, inconsistent at best, and they don't have a lot of credibility, to be quite honest, when it comes to that. There was something that happened, this would have been April 30th, so on Thursday, 
from Andrew Hayes Stoker. Some fan had said something to him. What it was exactly, not exactly sure, because that initial tweet, I think, had gotten deleted. But Andrew Hayes Stoker on the coaching staff had replied, sad existence to be labeled a hater. Get on board or buy a Northwestern jersey. There's not too much to unpack with a tweet like that. It's basically a coach saying, all right, go root for somebody else, you hater, which, okay, fine, but it seems it's childish for sure. The other thing, though, as many people have pointed out since that tweet yesterday, is that your 0-4 against Northwestern and what happened the last game of the regular season last year was one of the worst Illini football losses in a long time. And that's saying something. Yes, injuries, I know, were a factor, but you got your asses handed to you by the worst Northwestern team of Pat Fitzgerald's tenure. So you can say that, go root for Northwestern, but it seems, I don't know, is that irony? I'm not exactly sure that you would tweet that about a team that you were 0-4 against and haven't really been close the entire time. I guess you could say year three you competed, but Northwestern also took all their starters out in the second half. That's neither here nor there. This whole thing about coaches, especially Illini football coaches, replying to any disgruntled fan, they need to stop, and that needs to come from up top. That needs to come from Lovey, or it needs to come from Josh Whitman, And that might just be a complete embargo on don't reply to fans, period. Because clearly, some of these guys over at the Smith Football Performance Center can't handle it. And what ends up happening is they respond and they look petty for a program that cannot afford things like that. We're entering a season, which if it happens, you know, again, we'll see, with fans in the stadiums or not, we're entering a season where there's not as much excitement as there should be after making your first bowl since I guess that would have been 2014. There should be more excitement than there is right now. And that's where a lot of the frustration comes in. That The momentum that you lack on the recruiting trail, you also lack in terms of fan excitement. It's just not there. And I know your home schedule looks pretty good next year. You have a favorable schedule, especially compared to last year. But there's not this sort of upward momentum that you feel with Illini basketball. So to see these guys continue to do this, again, is it that big of a deal? Eh, I guess not. There are far bigger issues that we could be dealing with Illini football, but just stop it. Just stop it. You represent the university. If I could play this card, and it's probably going to sound very pretentious, but as an alum, even more than just a fan, but as an alum, don't do not do that. You are a paid university employee. You're representing a program that is still trying to figure out what it is and how to get back on the right footing. So it just seems really tone deaf and not all that smart because in addition to just being tone deaf and not understanding why fans should be disgruntled in the first place, a tweet like that from Andrew Hayes Stoker is not all that different from when I would get tweets after saying something on here or on the radio about, well, you're such a negative fan and this or that. Be better than Joe Fan. Okay, you're the one making six figures a year for this football program. Be better than Joe Fan and carry yourself with a little bit of decorum. I think that's about it. Okay, not to belabor that point, we have Jordan Burnfield coming up. We had a great conversation. It went about an hour, I think. And I told him beforehand, let's just talk. This is a pandemic situation. We're going to talk sports. We're going to talk life. We actually went a lot into his childhood in Deerfield, which is where the Birdo Center was for the Bulls. So all those practices back in the day, he met these guys, even so far as having breakfast at the same Baker's Square as Horace Grant and Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. So for me, having grown up two and a half hours away from all that Bulls dynasty, it was close, but it was still far away. And there was something mythical about them because I never met any of them for sure. Still haven't to this day. And I only saw them on TV. So for him, he had this more kind of humanistic 
perspective on it that a lot of us growing up in downstate Illinois or really anywhere else in the world did not have. They were rock stars, and he was able to see some of these guys in their more mundane moments. So some really cool stories from Jordan about that. And just checking in with an old friend during this pandemic, he is an announcer on the air, and, well, there are no games to announce. So we get a little bit into that as well. One thing that I wanted to hit on, too, before we get Jordan on, in terms of what we have coming up here on the 200 level, Lon was going to be on yesterday. Now, for anyone in downstate Illinois, you probably got a few inches of rain. I know we got about two and a half, and even in our basement in Champaign, which doesn't usually have too many flooding issues, we had a little bit of standing water here and there. Not not too much, but for a lot of Lon's clients, they had basements that were flooded. So he had a really busy Thursday. We had planned on doing this yesterday. He had a bunch of claims to deal with, which I re- recall from 93.5, right on cue, once every spring, he would come in just a deluge of insurance claims. And this is that time of year for him. So we're going to try to get him on next week. We will get Lon on soon. And the good thing about whenever we do is it doesn't necessarily need to be timely that we can have a conversation with Lon about whatever's going on. And it has been a while since we've caught up. So I'm excited to do that when we get Lon on probably next week, working on a few other guests as well, uh, including some special surprises. I can't say anything yet because if I do, and then it doesn't pan out sort of like the Scott Brocious thing that we used to have back on tan carp. If it doesn't pan out, I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want some of you to be disappointed. We're working on a few things with that as well. On Monday, of course, we'll talk with Trevor and Harry after the last dance, and maybe there'll be some other sports things to react to. And I think that we'll gravitate towards, you know, 30 minutes for the last dance, what we saw the night before, and then get into general sports talk like we did uh, this last Monday. All right, so without any further ado, a great conversation here with Jordan Burnfield. Again, a little bit of his childhood experience in Deerfield with the Bulls growing up. A really kind of loose conversation that I enjoyed having with someone that normally I would be seeing Jordan a couple times each summer at these Dave Matthews Band concerts because we're both avid Dave Matthews Band fans. You'll notice we talk a little bit about that at the beginning, but don't worry. This is not a Dave Matthews Band podcast. It might be for the next five minutes, but that's about it. After that, we do get into sports, so no worries. All right, so Jordan, it's about 65 degrees and sunny outside. I went for a run before we logged on here, and naturally I had to put on my Dave Matthews Band playlist, and <laughs> I'm, it's bittersweet because on one hand, that is my sign that summer has arrived. On the other, I'm just waiting for the inevitable email and tweet that says, hey, fans, Sorry, but the summer tour is postponed. So do you find yourself purposely avoiding or purposely going to music like Dave Matthews Band um, during a situation like this? You know, I I definitely um, have been using music to try to cope with this. I think, you know, we all do our different things. And for me, um, you know, I I definitely get how you feel. And, and for me, it's very similar in that, you know, Dave Matthews Band kind of is the soundtrack of my summer in a normal setting. Uh, and I, and I like you, I'm sort of waiting for them to cancel the tour because I just don't know how logistically that's going to happen uh, this year. But what I would say is that um, I'm, I'm listening to a lot of music. I'm playing my guitars a ton uh, in quarantine because you know, let's be honest, our uh, activities are all limited, but a bit, yeah. <laughs> the good thing for me is that, you know, I, I always felt like I was an okay guitarist and I feel like I'm getting much better rapidly because, you know, for the first time uh, since I started playing, I'm home and I have no excuse, 
excuse me, I have no excuse but to practice. And so, um, you know, the, the DMB has been playing a lot and I've been playing a lot. And, uh, so from that perspective, um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, like all the things we're going to be better at or, um, have, a, have achieved something that we never thought we would do, um, during this odd period of our lives. And, uh, I guess one thing for me has been, um, kind of improving a lot as a guitar player and, and, and using music in ways that, that I haven't before, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward at some point today with this nice weather here in Chicago to going out and sitting on my balcony and like blasting JTR. Or something. Mm. You say JTR, that was the last song I had in my run and I timed it. So that'd be the last mile that I had and the home stretch would be the breakdown at the end of it. And I was even thinking, you know, the last Dave show I would have been at was Alpine Valley last year where they busted out JTR. Yeah. They'd only done a couple times earlier that summer. And that was the, that was the, I don't chase songs very much anymore because I've been to so many shows, but that was one of them. And uh, yeah, it is a time where I'm finding, I'm working on music myself. I'm, I'm working on the band's new album. So I've been occupied with that, getting better at guitar because I'm playing every day. Uh, anything else you're doing? I've noticed I've been playing online chess and trying to hone a <laughs> skill that didn't exist before this started. So I, I want to hear more about the music you're doing because I know you're a much more accomplished uh, musician than I am. But um, to answer your question, I would say beyond that, uh, you know, it's it's sort of funny. I don't know if if you and your wife are like this, but we like before everything started shutting down, um, my wife wanted to get a Peloton bike, and she was you know because like she works downtown in the morning and you know we have to take the we live in the city but we have a train stop okay. going in and so it you know it takes a little while to get to the office and she wanted to get something where we could just she could know that in the morning she could get a workout in um before she goes to the office and i was like totally not wanting to get the bike and now we got one like right at the beginning of quarantine which as it turns out has been great because since we can't go to a gym and you know, the weather until basically today has not been real ideal for running. Uh, I have been cycling my brains out because okay. let's be honest, there's not a whole lot to do. So <laughs> um, between the guitar playing and exercising, at least one thing that I do know by the end of this is I'm not going to be super fat mm -hmm. uh, because I am moving. So that is good. Yeah, um, I noticed the last month it was, uh, and our weather's, it seems like we always run about 10 degrees warmer than Chicago in the spring, and then yeah. in the summer, Chicago can actually even be muggier and hot. I think that lake just traps everything, but in the last month, I just, I run every day just because why not? Again, back to that idea, yeah. and I ran 150 miles in the month, which is the most I've ever done, and it as I was running today, I just had a feeling too, and you mentioned the Peloton or just, you know, playing guitar, yeah, I, I had this one thought. I was like, I need this. And I remember when this all started, I said to Kara that if you told me that throughout all this, I can still go outside because we hear the word lockdown and freak out. If I can go outside yeah. and I can run and just or even just sit outside, I'm fine. For me, that's the great equalizer. Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, you know, I think that these things are all kind of ways for us as humans to cope you know this the whole thing is so unnatural um being told that you know for not only for our own safety but for the safety of others we need to stay home and 
stay out of public and stay away from people and not have human interaction. And when you're sitting there and it's just you and your thoughts, you know, any person could find that to be a daunting uh, kind of scenario. So I think, you know, running, that's great. And, and uh, you know, playing music, I think for both of us, you know, these are kind of ways to, um, you know, relax and, and to kind of get away from it. But so, so I want to hear a little more. I know, I know you, you know, you brought me on to talk to me, which I appreciate, but I want to hear more about the music you're making. So I know you have a band, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And I know you're musically talented. So like what kind of stuff have you been doing? during? So the band is decadence and we've been around for about, well, 10 years now. It's actually 10 years since we started and two days before the Illinois, Iowa game. So I guess that would have been March 6. I went in to lay down guide tracks. So drums and bass, something that I could build guitar and vocals and all that and do that, that part at home. So fortunately, I mean, the timing was perfect because if it's a weekend or two later, it, the session probably gets canceled and I'm just sitting here with no project to work on. But yeah, the timing was great. We got 12 tracks done and, you know, they're pretty close. You know, we're going to get the other guys in there and record their parts, but as they are right now, they're almost good to go. So that was been uh, that has been keeping me busy and... Between that and the running, that that keeps my sanity through all this. And the problem is, though, in terms of playing shows, you know, who knows? If it's we don't tend to draw <laughs> a ton of people when when we do play because we're an original band and it's tough. But yeah. you know, even at that fifty person cap, which I think is phase two or maybe even phase three, I'm not sure. You know, I don't know when live performances will be able to get going again. Yeah. No, I mean. Uh one of the things that I think is also, you know, as we talk about things that have gotten us through it, you know, watching these live streams of these artists that have been so generously donating their time and playing music to entertain us in quarantine has been great. You know, like I've been watching all kinds of different live streams of um, musicians I really like throughout this. And it's like, there's a thing to do, right? Like, you know, if someone's doing a live stream on a Thursday night, I put it in my calendar. I'm like, yeah. all right, tonight I am going to watch this concert on Facebook Live or whatever. And it's it's been helpful. Um, it's been really nice. And, you know, I appreciate all these artists that, you know, they don't have to do this stuff. No. Um, but they're doing it for fun. Maybe uh, not that I'm trying to volunteer you, but I'm saying maybe, maybe you and your band can <laughs> uh, do some kind of live stream. Like I've seen... I don't even know how they're doing it where some bands are doing these full songs um, and they're all in obviously their own locations. So I don't know if they're editing all these together or how exactly they're doing it. But like, for instance, like bare naked ladies, I don't know if you saw this is on YouTube. They've been putting out videos of, you know, their hit songs from the nineties basically. And they sound seamless. So either their zoom connections are like spot on amazing or they're editing these together. I don't know. Um, I'm guessing they have a click track beneath it or a guide track. Yeah. They each play their parts and then they bring it together in some video editing software. I mean, same thing with, yeah. you know, I don't know if when the Stones did their, you can't always get what you want on that thing. Yeah. Was it last Saturday night where Charlie Watts is, people are saying he's not playing anything. He actually had Bluetooth drumsticks that depending where you play them, they know what part of the drum set that would have been. So he technically yeah. was playing, but 
that they I, I had to have guessed that Mick started it with a quick track and then, you know, Keith, who hardly did anything, but he's just being cool. And Ronnie and Charlie, they just join in and do their thing. But I, I'm guessing that's the thing. So unless you got everybody in a room, I, I don't know if any connection would be good enough where you could have everyone playing simultaneously and have it stick. Yeah. No, I mean, that's I'm sure you're right that that's what they're doing. But it's been cool. I mean, you're right to see that Stone's performance last week was awesome. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping we'll get a, a DMB virtual show of some kind, although Dave has done, you know, a couple of these performances, which have been fun. Um, given that the 2020 tours, like I, I don't even know what concert other than something virtually could even be done in the next I don't know how many months, right? Like, I don't want to sound negative. No, but it's uh, it's a, the realistic thing because I yeah. was even thinking and talking to my dad about this. Let's say, hypothetically, Dave says, well, we're going to do it, which this is total hypothetical. I doubt it will. But yeah. And Deer Creek was the one weekend we are, the schedule allowed us to go to. It was actually only going to be two shows for us this summer because I got a bunch of Rage Against the Machine shows. I got the Stones down in Louisville. But we talked about how, you know, I guess we'd have to sit it out or he might be like, I mean, I guess you could go. But, you know, my parents are in their mid 60s and he doesn't want to risk that. So I think that I'm finding myself holding on to the little bits of good news that come out. So, for example, a day or two ago, the uh, Oxford in England talks about how they hope to have a vaccine around September which would be insanely fast, but they're already producing yeah. this in India. And then I read about how remdesivir is actually, uh, the FDA is, if they haven't already approved it, or looking to approve it as the treatment. And I'm just trying to hold on to that and say, oh my God, just give me that so I know that 2021 will be normal. And I'm okay with right. that. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I hope, you know, just following the news, um, you know, as much as I can, while also trying not to be totally depressed by everything. Exactly, um, yeah. You know, it sounds like if we were to be really diligent for a while, um, which as a country, I think it's sort of divided about how diligent we are. But if we were to remain that way, uh, you know, we could possibly curtail most of a, quote, second wave of this. But, you know, it's hard to know, like, what would happen if, God forbid, we have another wave of coronavirus in the fall or the winter and how that would affect these things going forward. I mean, I just, you know, I hope that this is not, you know, something that we're dealing with into 2021. And I agree with you. That would be amazing if, if we are uh, sort of behind this by 2021, but as of now, it's, you know, it's hard to really know. I think we're all, we're all guessing and we're all waiting for the latest information and um you know i i hope that that we get through this because you know it's for us it's the one thing that i keep thinking about this whole time is you know for us it's like well we're lucky right we we can stay at home we are not in jobs that require us to be in harm's way every day like i think like whenever every, every time i go to the grocery you know i my heart goes out to these people that have to be there every day and around all these, these others, and certainly healthcare workers, first and foremost, who are dealing with this on the front lines every day. Like, you know, I can be bored and sit home and play guitar and, you know, uh, run and, and ride the Peloton bike and things of that nature. But, 
you know, we don't have to be in this. So, you know, far be it for me to complain, but I think we're all hoping that um, sooner than later we can have our lives quote unquote back because uh, you know, there's so many things that, that I think about that I want to do that I just don't know when the next time I can do it is like a day like today would have been great for a ball game. Right? Oh my God. And I, I don't yeah. know what the schedule was if Friday, yeah. May 1st, the Cubs were at home, but are you kidding me? A day like today? Yeah. I mean, even just to, you know, I, I was thinking about that because I wouldn't probably have gone to a game at Wrigley today, but just the ability I would have gotten home from school at, let's say, you know, three fifteen something like that. And then catch the last three innings of the Friday afternoon game at Wrigley on what looks yeah. to be a 70 and sunny day down here in Champaign. I'm looking at, you know, it's May 1st and two months ago, and we're, we're getting into that two-month territory from when this thing started. Two months yeah. ago today, Illinois beat Indiana at home in what was a really, really tightly contested game against an Indiana team that was desperate. And then a week after that was the Illinois-Iowa game, which is one of the best environments I've been in ever, maybe. So for you, for all of us, on Wednesday, March 11th, that was the day. That was the evening, I should say, where it was like, oh, crap, this is real. So from a sports perspective and someone that I'm, I'm guessing you had some gigs lined up, you know, <laughs> you, you had things to call. Take us through that evening and when you probably came to the realization that I might not be doing this thing for a while. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because I, um, I remember, you know, I was following the, the kind of trajectory of this and the weekend before that. You know, what was it like the seventh or the eighth? My wife and I were at a charity function in a large setting in a hotel in Chicago with probably 300 people in a ballroom um, for this event. And, you know, this is when things started to ramp up, you know, like things weren't shut down yet, but things were starting to ramp up. Um, and we were talking about like, you know, what, what's going to happen and how is this going to affect the world? And, and, you know, we really didn't know, like, would it affect travel? Would it affect, uh, affect our work? You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, I remember watching some of that Illinois Indiana game. And then I remember, you know, what was it? Uh, Rudy Gobert, um, you know, was after the whole, touching everybody's microphone <laughs> that Wednesday. So I think, I think the timeline yeah. went because we had, we had band practice that night at seven walked yeah. into it. And even on the way there talking with the guys in the band and we're just having casual conversation, like, you know, how serious is this it's kind of, you know, pandemic kind of freaky. Yeah. And then two hours later we get out and I see my Twitter notifications included Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson have COVID-19 Utah yeah. jazz player, Rudy Gobert has COVID-19 and the NBA suspends their season. And that was just that right there, more than Tom Hanks or Rudy Gobert. The NBA saying, yeah, all that money that we could be making right now, yeah, nah, skip it. That, that when big companies and leagues and corporations started saying, uh, nah, we're, we're just shutting down, that to me was what made it really real. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no doubt. I mean, I, I felt like um, once the NBA shut down, you know, because as sports fans, Mike, like when other than 9-11, when sports shut down for what was it, a week, five days, six yeah. days? It was a um, week, yeah. You know, sports never go away. And this isn't this isn't like me saying this because I'm a sports fan or a sports caster. It's more of just like as a society, typically 
the entertainment things don't go away regardless of what is happening in the world or the country. And when the NBA shut down and, you know, then it was the discussion of, will the NCAA tournament happen? Will uh, all these things, you know, because at, at first none of it shut down. The original thought was they'll play with no fans and all this stuff. I remember turning to my wife, um, you know, we had gone out for dinner. The last, This was literally the last time we went out for dinner before everything started to get shut down. Mm-hmm. And we were meeting friends for dinner. And I remember turning to my wife as we were getting out of the car. And I had this look on my face that she must have picked up. And she said, what's wrong? I said, you know what's going to happen? And she's like, no. I was like, you know, if they're going to shut down sports leagues, like I'm going to be out of work for an indefinite period of time <laughs> um, because – you know, I don't know, you know, at that, at that time, it was like, if we're shutting down sports, it means that the the world is not prepared for what's about to occur. And therefore, this is going to be a prolonged indefinite thing. So, you know, I was expecting personally, okay, well, you know, my regular season schedule had actually ended at that point. But I was like, you know, let's get ready for conference tournaments and uh you know maybe the nit and all that kind of stuff and so then that was obviously gone um you know which for me is it's it's i mean it's unfortunate but i'm not comparing what you know what i lost out oh, on sure. to the real hardships that people are are dealing with because you know mine is a is a small drop in the bucket but then just to think like extrapolating that to where we're at now where sports literally are not occurring in the world other than I think South Korea has got some baseball going on. Um, you know, that, that is obviously, this has been, I don't know what it's been like for you, Mike, but I would have to say that as much as I love sports and they are what I do and they are what you do and what, what we have been a part of for our careers professionally and just as fans, I would say that right now, I don't miss sports as much as I thought I might have Yeah, as I much agree. as I miss working you know like i miss you know being a part of it um and there's certainly there are days where i uh am like man it'd be so great if if there were a a cubs game on or or just any baseball game on to watch i feel like i'm less in that camp because i feel like there's things that are so much more important than that but at the same time um the distraction would be really really nice uh you know, from, from all this just horrible, um, sad coverage of all these things happening. So I feel like that's where I'm coming from. Like, I feel like when I was 20 years old, I would have been going insane without sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like mentally I'm okay with it not happening for a while. Um, but I do miss the idea of working. it. Well, you mentioned, and this is what's tricky about a situation like this is, you know, you, you said, well, in no way is my situation as bad as people that have had the ultimate loss, right? But in yeah. in some way, shape, or form, we've all had loss here. So the on the low end of the spectrum would be a loss of normalcy, of whatever was normal to us before, let's say, March 11th. And then you go to loss of um, employment, loss of work. And then, of course, on the far end and the worst end of the spectrum is loss of life. But yeah. with that, you mentioned sports. And I would agree. I don't miss sports as much as I thought. I, I don't have many thoughts throughout the day like, you know what would be great is if I knew live sports were on tonight. Because 
I'm watching right now the 98 Bulls playoff run, and I know what happens. Yeah. But, you know, for me, uh, usually evenings, uh, unless Illinois is playing or the Yankees are playing, it's passive. Okay, I got some sports on the TV. And it's just the kind of background noise that uh, that it's a way to wind down and just kind of enjoy yeah. something on TV. So I would agree with that. Um, all that said, you know, in absence makes the heart grow fonder, I suppose, yeah. where when this does come back, even if it is a bastardized MLB season, and even if there are no fans in the stadiums until 2021, you can bet that I will be watching, let's say the first game is the Marlins versus the Reds. I don't care. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm watching it. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. I mean, it could be, it could be any. I like for me. I've had, I have uh, like the Last Dance special has been great, and it feels like a live sporting event because you know it feels like everyone who is a sports fan is watching it with you, and we're all experiencing it together the way we might, you know, uh, NCAA tournament or or Sunday night football or something like that. Um, so that that feeling of community is something that I've certainly missed. And I think uh, that's been great. Well, like, and I, and I have tuned into bits and pieces of these old games. Um, but I, I have to say, like, I have trouble when I know what's going to happen. Agreed. Watching a ton of it, unless it's something that I know what happens, but I never really saw it in the first place. Like I watched, um, what was it? Uh, MLB Network had a all-day thing when Greg Maddox had his birthday last week or two weeks ago mm -hmm. where they were showing old Greg Maddox games. And he's my favorite athlete of all time, so I tuned into some of it. And they were showing games from like the early 90s that I'm too young to really have appreciated. So I was watching it more because I wanted to see him just dominate people with these incredible uh, perfectly located pitches. So I was watching that, but then like also some of the games were old enough that, you know, I don't remember exactly how the games went. So like that was kind of fun to watch, but, and, and don't get me wrong, watching the, the old bulls playoff games has been fun in certain respects, but at the same time, it's like, I've seen it. I know it's going to happen. You know, they were a great team. Michael's great. Scotty's great. They're all great. But um, I don't know. Like I've, the, the one game, I guess, that I've watched part of since this started that really captivated me, even though I knew what was happening, but I was just excited to watch it again, was the Rose Bowl National Championship when Vince Young carved up USC. Yes. Yeah. That was like individually one of the best sports performances, you know, I've ever seen. So that was kind of fun. But I like, I don't know if you're like me with this, but I have trouble with, you know, when, when local sports channels reshow games from the night before, uh, <laughs> if I know what yeah, happened, yeah. I'm not watching. I, I don't care. I agree. Yeah. And I remember, and I think they probably still do this now. It's what is now NBC sports Chicago. And what would have back in the day been sports channel. And then it was Fox sports, Chicago, then Comcast yeah. sports, and all these different iterations of it, but they would always have the white Sox replay and no offense to the white Sox, but I just don't have any interest in it. And with it, with all this Jordan thing, and I want to get into that for a second, but because yeah. that is really what's kind of holding it's binding the sports community together every Sunday night. But um, as I am watching it, well, first off to get your context, I grew up in Champaign-Urbana. I'm 33. Are, are we the same age or? Yeah, I'm 34. So, yeah, and, and you grew up in the Chicago area? 
Yeah, I, I actually, I grew up in the north suburbs in Deerfield where... Dan Bernstein's from, right? Track. And that's where the, yeah, right. Yeah, so the Birdo Center is in Deerfield. So the only reason I bring that up is because, you know, we're kind of too young. We're like right on the cusp of being too young to remember some of this stuff. Like, I have memories as a kid, you know, of being a young kid watching Pax and at the three against the Suns, but I was eight years old. You know what right. I mean? Like, it's not the same as if, you know, for instance, like, when the Cubs won, obviously I was, you know, 30 years old. So I, I have vivid memories of covering the season, watching it as a fan, like the whole thing. I, and also like as a media person, as an, as a media consumer, you know, you, you know about all the stuff, like for me as a kid, you know, I remember obviously the, the Jordan bulls, but it was more in the context of like, I loved watching the games. I loved, you know, shooting hoops in my basement on my Fisher Price hoop, wearing my Michael Jordan jersey and pretending to be the Bulls. That sounds very and, familiar. I had the same probably uh, Fisher Price hoop, and we would also yeah. take masking tape because we had this really, it was carpet that you'd put in a rec room. And yeah, so yeah. we would take masking tape and make up the Bulls' court the best nice. we could. Yeah, and then we'd have dunk competitions. I had my Jordan jersey, of course. Start, yeah. What was a champion brand with the screen printed numbers <laughs> yes. and name on the back? Yeah. Yeah, so so like we experienced it in that way, but I don't think that I truly I mean I know about it because when you cover sports in the Chicago market, like you have to know a lot of the stuff. So I knew a lot of the stories, but some of the things I didn't totally realize. Like I didn't I don't think I was fully aware of Scottie Pippen's quote unquote being underpaid in relation to the rest of the league or how that contract went down and the animosity. You know, I wasn't listening to sports radio when I was 12. So, like, I didn't know about the rift between him and Jerry Krause. And I didn't realize um, sort of the way that uh, Krause and Reinsdorf worked together in this way to break up this team, like, where they were bringing Tim Floyd to, where they were dining, whining and dining him uh, in ways where, you know, like it was a threat to Phil Jackson. Yeah. What I remember, to be honest with you, as a kid was, you know, this was before smartphones, not to make us sound like we're 100 years old, but like my mom could take me uh, to the local diner and three tables over would be Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, what? You know, Horace Grant and BJ Armstrong. This actually like happened. There having breakfast. And this was like not a big deal. Like, it was because of who they were, but sure. you know, it was before smartphones. So like, you know, my mom brought me up to meet them several different times, like where I get an autograph on, no. uh, on a sheet of paper or a hat or, um, you know, like there are pictures of me with, you know, random bulls players from that era when I was a little kid, because, you know, you would just run into them. Like you would run into Dennis Rodman in the mall. Um, you would, like it was granted they were larger than life on a, on a national and international scale, especially by like the second three P, but you know, it was a different time. You know, you could do stuff like that and there weren't, you know, it's like Dennis Rodman. Like when we learned in the, in the third episode, you know, that he just like went to Vegas and partied in Vegas for three days in the middle of the season, which could never happen now because if a player were out, there'd be like a million Instagram live and Facebook and all this stuff were like all their moves would be documented, but 
at that time, like guys like that could just go to the local Baker Square and have breakfast and you'd run into them. So like that kind of stuff, (laughs) I remember a lot of. Um, And so you're telling me you actually you met these guys. I mean, when I was like eight, but yeah, I met many of them. Uh, Actually, there was a charity event when I was like 12 ish, you know, like towards the end of the run that my dad somehow got us tickets to. And, you know, like you said, like I, I wore my screen printed red champion Michael Jordan jersey to this event. And all the bulls were there, like all of them. Right. And the coaches and, um, you know, this is at the Birdo center and this would probably was 1997 ish. Uh, and I got to, to, you know, we waited in these long lines to meet the players and get their autographs and such. And there's pictures of me with, like I said to Michael Jordan, when I was like this 11 or 12 year old kid, like, hi, Michael, my name is Jordan and you're my favorite player and blah, blah, blah. Like my dad took pictures of, us together and so like i i have these memories of meeting all of them but you know it was always in the in the frame carp of being like a a a kid you know like i didn't know about all the 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 rifts and the 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 things that were sort of in the underbelly yeah sure in the the media world it was like these were my heroes because everyone loved these bulls and as a kid named jordan i had all this stuff with my name on it which is awesome and, you know, shoes with my name on them and, you know, T-shirts and whatever. So, like, that stuff was great. So, like, I still have uh, some of that stuff, which which is awesome. But, like, now kind of as an adult to appreciate all these, like, real-world things that were going on with them, you know, even though you read about it, to to kind of see it and to hear from them and all that stuff. Like, that stuff is uh, is has been really captivating to me. I remember um, distinctly, I mean, you mentioned you have – your your first name being Jordan, so you actually had the name on the back of the jersey. But even my yeah. first name being Michael, and knowing his first yeah. name was Michael, and being you know in elementary school thinking that's the coolest thing ever that I share the same name as Michael Jordan. But you know, you br- bring up something interesting because being down here in Champaign Urbana, I remember the first time I ever met a famous athlete was Richard Richard Keane, who was the shooting guard from for Illinois from about like ninety two to ninety five. There you go. Five-star kid that could have went to Duke and ended up choosing Illinois towards the tail end of uh, Henson's career. And Richard Keene... Only John Shire had done the same. Yes, right. Especially because Bruce Weber's brother was the coach. But regardless, that's a whole other discussion. Right, yeah. (laughs) But we we went to an Illinois game, and then afterwards there was this sports bar called The Hideaway where we went as a family to get dinner or something like that. And Richard Kane had this amazing head of hair, and he was sort of a heartthrob for all all the ladies. And my sister, who would have been in fifth grade, really wanted his autograph. So, you know, kindergarten or first grade me, I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. And when I've got his autograph, because it was local and because these guys were, like, right in front of you – it humanized them a bit, whereas for me, the Bulls, being two hours away and Chicago being this sort of monolithic location that we visited every couple years, but it was still its own thing, they were larger than life. So that's an interesting perspective that you saw these guys getting breakfast at a Baker's Square, or you well, saw like, them you know, at like, the mall. Yeah, it's, it's just like Horace Grant would just be like there picking up breakfast or a pie or something. Like Insane. You know, I mean... It is now. I realize that now that sounds crazy. But at the time, you know, it's just like these guys live there because that's where the practice facility was. Right. 
and they were around and like, you know, Michael Jordan had that, the house, you know, like the gate that everyone's seen that was not far from, I mean, that was a different subdivision. And obviously those houses are like massive and unlike anything else really in the community. But there was that when I was 10, I want to say, um, I begged my mom and we went trick or treating at Michael Jordan's house, um, which is a very unique experience. Cause like, you don't just like walk up to the gate with your little bag or pail sure. to go up to the gate. Like your car would literally get in line with other cars down the street for a mile. And the night we went, Michael wasn't home. Cause I think the bulls were opening the season in Boston. I remember, you know, what's funny. You mentioned that Halloween night and I distinctly remember getting done with trick or treating in time to come home and watch the start of that game. Second three, Pete. Yeah. And on Halloween night, and I feel like the Bulls might have even lost that game. But they, they, I don't remember, but you're probably right. But we went, and you know, we waited probably, I don't know, an hour ish. It felt like it as a ten year old, you know. And uh, you know, you finally you get to the gate, and you go through the twenty three gate, and you know, I was in my Michael Jordan jersey and the whole thing. And there's this big, sprawling, long, circular drive that you come into. And there was like a security guard and you'd park the car and you'd walk up to the door and Juanita Jordan, his first wife, right. standing there with candy. And, you know, as a 10 year old, I'm like, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get a king sized Reese's or some kind <laughs> of incredible candy because this is Michael Jordan and it's going to be the best and the biggest. And I think I got a dumb dumb. That was what I got. <laughs> so I waited about 90 minutes to get a dumb dumb and see like you know, uh, half a foot of entryway as the door was barely cracked open. Um, but you know, Juanita Jordan, I remember being super nice oh, wow. friendly to all the kids. And, you know, it was me and a couple of my friends, if, if I remember my sister and we, uh, it was great, you know, we, but, but like, I didn't realize the gravity of all that. It was just like, Oh my God, Michael Jordan. I want to meet Mike. You know, um, I, if, if I, had been older, I probably would have realized like there was no way Michael Jordan would even be home because uh, the, the team wasn't home. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it was just like that was that like to see some of the old footage of Michael driving up behind, you know, the Birdo Center in that in that red Corvette or whatever it was. Um, you know, when I was I think I was 11, uh, I remember going to there was a basketball camp at the Birdo center that Steve Kerr was hosting and Dickie Simpkins was like helping him with it. And I took the camp and I was not a very good basketball player. Never been a very good basketball player, but I preach you know, in the choir. The camp. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there was, I, I do remember that there was a, uh, there was like a question and answer section at the end and all the kids understandably <laughs> were asking Steve Kerr questions about Michael Jordan. Sure. Yeah. And, I don't know how I decided to do this because I don't know that I'm even that thoughtful, but in this moment I felt, you know, I want to ask Steve Kerr a question about him. Hmm. So I remember asking Steve Kerr something about himself as opposed to Michael, because I felt bad that no one asked anything but questions about Michael Jordan. And I remember Steve Kerr being like laughing and like being sort of happy and shocked that somebody asked him a question about himself. Well, he had so, the same sort of thing at the, I think it was the sixth and final Grant Park 
celebration, which I remember those distinctly. We were, we tape recorded all of them, and it was yeah m- appointment viewing, and always like you know June twenty eighth or always the end of June because they always won in June. And yeah, Steve Kerr goes up for his little spiel, and he, he I think in that final finals or maybe it was the ninety seven year where he had the game winner in one of them, and and maybe that was even in a game six at the end of the ninety seven finals. But regardless, he you know was pretty self-effacing about it and, and made a joke about how, well, you know, I bailed Michael out again. And I was thinking too about how, uh, I just saw an interview with Horace Grant from a few years ago and the entire thing, questions about Michael Jordan. Here's a very accomplished NBA player, a great part of that opening three Pete. And, uh, but I got to give these, I, I think they have to be aware. And I think they are that, you know, that's, that just comes with the territory. I mean, even as I watch this on Sunday nights, Every time Michael's on the screen, that to me is the highlight. I mean, he has this aura that there's no other athlete that has come close to that. No, I mean, there really, um, there really isn't one. I mean, Michael, you know, when you think about like, you know, obviously this special has turned a lot of the sports media discussion into this debate about Michael versus LeBron. But I think, separate from that is more just like when Michael came along and then the marketability of Michael, um, not only being the best basketball player at the time and in my opinion ever, but also just, you know, the, the marketability that, that he had and created, it, it was an empire at a time when there were still fewer ways to distract us as a society. And so his reach was greater to me than any other athlete probably ever, right? Like he was everywhere. I mean, like Peyton Manning, I guess in certain respects was everywhere. um, And still is sort of everywhere in a certain way with like TV commercials and uh, you know, the show that he does and all that stuff. But like, man, Michael Jordan was like, we were, my wife and I were in Spain last spring, like about a year ago. And, um, we were in San Sebastian and we walked into this little shop and the people asked us where we were from. And I said, Chicago. And literally, I'm not kidding you. This is, you know, 2019 at the time. This is 20 years since Michael Jordan was a bull. The first thing the man behind the counter says, who can barely speak any English is, Oh, Chicago, Michael Jordan, Chicago bulls. Like, to me, that was so um, illuminating of the impact of Michael Jordan that 20 years later, when he hasn't played in, you know, 15 or 17 years, whatever it is, that the first thing that a person from Spain thinks of when you say Chicago is Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And so, like, I don't think that, I mean, the arguments about, who the best player is, you know, people can have their arguments, but I don't know that you could argue that there has been an athlete probably more impactful in sports probably ever than Michael Jordan. I think because of the era that he came from and the dominance that he had, and then just like the worldwide pitchman appeal that he had that like anywhere you go, you know, I mean, how many athletes are like that car, Michael, Maybe Tiger Woods. Muhammad Ali is the one name. I mean, I think the the two other names, and Michael Wolbon had said this in the first last dance, and I would agree with this to an extent, would be Muhammad Ali and Babe Ruth. 
you know that, yeah like and, that's that's probably the list and i guess you I could put even now yeah you know babe ruth doesn't have q rating anymore really <laughs> um and muhammad ali maybe does with a certain generation but i think like today it's probably michael jordan and tiger woods that's probably it. And even with Tiger, as I mean, when he won the Masters last year, that was a big deal because it felt like the return of the king, you know. And even for someone as casual a golf fan as I was, I was thrilled to see it and felt like I was watching history like I was yeah. back from his 1998 to 2008 run. And it seemed all but a certainty that he was going to take that uh, lead in terms of majors one. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, you speak about Jordan's global impact. We went to. Punta Cana down in the Dominican for a honeymoon back in this would have been December 2018. And the way that these all-inclusives are set up, have you ever been to one of those all-inclusive? Uh, yeah, yeah. So they have the restaurants in the middle of it. They got an Italian place. They got a steakhouse. They got all of that, right? right? And they have a sports bar. Well, the sports bar just had completely random memorabilia throughout. So it would be, you know, 1998 Cincinnati Bengals team picture and their record. And next to that would be a picture of John McEnroe. Just no nonsensical, just random. But on the top, sports people. Yes, right. Yeah, and on the top of the sports bar, though, sure enough, the main figure, this sort of bronze, you know, statue, was of Michael Jordan. But the thing was, it wasn't Bulls. It was a red jersey, but it wasn't Bulls. It was Bull. There was no S. They left the S. And it wasn't twenty-three. It was thirty-two. And for some oh reason, I thought, God. well, that's. They clearly know of him. He's a big deal. They, they missed a few details, but there was something just so bizarre about seeing, you know, they, they knew of Michael Jordan and all that, and yet here, whoever designed this place didn't take that extra little thing. I mean, that'd be like me saying if you said, what's David Beckham's number? Well, I don't know. Right. Yeah, I, honestly, I don't even know what his number is. I mean, the, the thought that you were in Spain and someone comes up and they say, well, oh, yeah, Michael Jordan, that, that would be the same thing if I met someone from England. I'm like, oh, yeah, right, right, David Beckham or Wayne Rooney. Yeah, right. no, one, no one does that. So it really is specific to him because Chicago's had plenty of famous people come through there. And yet that is the identifiable feature for any casual person around the globe. You could go to China. You could go to, as you did, Spain. You could go to any country in Africa. That'd probably be the same sort of situation. Yeah, well, I mean, it was like also just the uh, the cultural impact because, like, for someone, you know, to say, "Oh, you're from Chicago," I would have thought like maybe the first thought would have been Barack Obama, right? Right. Like, yeah. Last American president from Chicago, but instead, the first thing that they said was Michael Jordan, which, which, I mean, it didn't stun me, but in a, in another sense, it was still a little bit surprising, only because it's been that many years, but. You know, I think um, this, you know, this last dance thing, I think, has really kind of shown the light on this era in a way for especially people younger than us. And even for us, you know, like seeing them when they were in Paris and the way Michael Jordan was just, you know, lauded and beloved in ways that. Are, I mean, it was like the Beatles were there. Oh, right? totally. Like, yeah, he's a total yeah. rock star. And I think yeah. about the sixth graders that I teach, and for them, the NBA, that's where it's at, not the NFL. The yeah. NBA is where it's at for these kids, and, and understandably. I mean, it's a star-driven league, and it's as healthy as it's ever been. With LeBron especially leading, leading it. And by the way, Space Jam, uh, what, is it, what is it called? Space Jam, a new generation. I don't know. The logo came out yesterday for the LeBron Bugs Bunny 
yeah. movie coming out next year. So we got that to look forward to. But um, yeah. yeah, the MBA is where it's at. So I remember conversations. I mean, I've even been doing e-learning. Uh, we do it twice a week for 30 minutes on Zoom. And I have kids in the chat window saying, hey, Mr. Carpenter, do you see The Last Dance on Sunday night? And I'm like, yeah. And we talked for a few minutes about The Last Dance because uh, for them, I'm trying to think of something similar for us growing up. Uh, you know, Muhammad Ali would be one more if there was a documentary. I guess we would have been into it. But since we both lived through it and since you especially lived through it in the backyard of where this was all going on and where the team was practicing, I, I think that's a cool perspective that you were able to get a little more of the sort of mundane part of it as I'm reading the Jordan rules have, I don't know if you ever read that the Sam Smith book I need to read it I think I have it somewhere but I, I feel like now this is a, a quarantine project that I need yeah to. and it's about the 1991 season so the first championship and there was strife on that team but they, yeah. I think you mentioned the mall thing I think there was a part in there where it talks about Bill Cartwright love to just go walk around the mall and I'm thinking you know that just that sort of mundane thing these guys play in front of 20,000 people at night but back then, and maybe the same same now, you got a lot of dead time on the road, at home. If you weren't practicing or playing a game, these 20-something males, they got to do something. And sometimes they just go walk around a mall. And to yeah. me, that little Actually, detail is really cool. Yeah, no, it, it, one of the things that happened when I mentioned that I went to this charity thing at the Birdo Center in 97, you know, one of the things that was billed in it was like for the price of your ticket, um, I think you know, it was, it was supposed to like, the whole thing was like, they're all going to be there. Right. Like Michael, Scotty, Dennis, all of them. Right. So Michael was, as you can imagine, like in, you know, dressed nicely sitting at a table with a line, you know, 20 miles long of people that wanted to uh, meet him and get his autograph and all that stuff. Same thing for Scotty. And then there was like a small, you know, small tables for a bunch of other guys. Bill Wennington. Like, coach had a pretty long line, <laughs> if I can remember correctly. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, Ron Harper and Steve Kerr and Judd Bushler and all those guys, decidedly much smaller lines. Like, yeah. Bill Wennington, you could just walk up and talk to him. <laughs> and I love Bill Wennington. But yeah, it's for like, sure. You know, I understand that the pecking order, so to speak. And I think he would probably say the same thing. Um, but, you know, I remember Dennis was not there at the beginning. And there was this whole question about like, is Dennis going to blow this off and whatever? Cause you know, like Dennis, as we all saw from the episode for people that didn't remember, like he beat to his own drum. He sort of went on his own thing. I distinctly remember Dennis showed up for like 15 minutes of this event. If I remember correctly, he was wearing a police uniform. Okay. Um, Sounds about right. And he signed autographs for a short time and then left again. So he was there technically and he did sign and there were people in a huge line of people uh, to meet him and to get, you know, autographs and such. But Dennis was not there uh, fully the way some of the others were, but it's just like some of those little things, like those are small, um, you know, memories that I have and, and being a kid, you know, it's kind of nice. Cause like you could go up to the players and it was more like I was intimidated to them. Like, it was super disarming for them because I was just a kid. So, um, you mentioned the ramen. I mean, if you got Carmen Electra back at your apartment, I wouldn't be staying for much longer than fifteen minutes either. So, I mean, that, that's totally fair. Which, by the way, that that's seems true. she might have been there. Yeah. That, that was a detail that, as I was listening to a little bit of Bernstein and then a little bit of Mac and uh, I bet's been Mac and Speaks, uh, Dan yeah. McNeil and Danny Parkins. Both of those shows, they talked about that Vegas trip, and actually, 
the way that the documentary framed it was a little bit inaccurate. Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra were already back in Chicago when Jordan went to go pick them up. So Jordan didn't fly to Vegas, I guess. It was the 72-hour or whatever, and then by that point, Rodman and Carmen Electra were already back in Chicago. Other than that, uh, I mean... That, that wasn't really clear, but... Yeah, they uh, didn't say one way or the other. They were, it seemed like they were sort of alluding to that, and certainly that makes a better story. You know, Jordan goes to Vegas to pick him up. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about that, too, where you got to see these guys, even in the case of that, where you got that little nugget with Dennis Rodman coming in for 15 minutes. I don't know if I'd ever told you this story, but back in 2004... Uh, December 2004, winter break had just started, and we're seniors at Urbana High School, and Illinois is the number one team in the nation, and I mean, everything around here is just gravy. It was an amazing time. I wouldn't, yeah. you know, I, I look back so fondly on it, and it was the first Saturday of winter break, and we get a text from a friend, and he knew some of the guys on the team, and he said, hey, do you want to go hang out with Dee and Darren and Luther tonight? And we're like, yeah, of course. So we head over to D and I think Luther might have lived together. Darren had a different apartment with his now wife, but then girlfriend. And we go in and we're playing Madden and talking, having a debate about Brian Urlacher or Ray Lewis, who's the better linebacker, with oh D and Luther. Uh, Sean Pruitt and Richard McBride, they're somewhere else in the apartment. Darren pops in and uh, he's got a corona and he's just, it, it, we're just, it, we're star, starstruck. And yeah. yet, what I think it did, similar to your stories, is I look back on the 0405 team, and that was only like 20 minutes maybe that we were there. But it's like, oh, yeah, they were just dudes. And having interviewed D a few times after that, um, even These in person. Oh, totally. And even in person, yeah. uh, it's like, right, you know, they, they, they're your heroes growing up, even when you're a senior in high school. And yet, you realize that they are just dudes. And, and to me, that's comforting in a way. Yeah. Well, for you, like, that's. See, like, I'm, I think your story is awesome because, you know, like, it was cool as a little kid getting to, like, bump into these stars. But I think when you're a little kid, you don't appreciate it. Like, if I had been a high school senior and got to hang out with, you know, members of that storied Illini team, like, that would have been awesome. Just because, yeah. like, you, you're old enough then where you could really appreciate and get to know them a little bit. Um, so that's great. I mean, that's that's a really that must've been an awesome experience. And like now, you know, I haven't, I've met uh, Darren Williams. I'd met Roger Powell once when he was coaching at Valpo, mm -hmm. uh, which was cool. Um, you know, our, our mutual buddy, Brian, you know, like he's obviously went to Illinois, like mm -hmm. you and is a huge Illini fan. And so I've gotten to know D Brown over the last several years because I've had so many UIC games and he's coaching there, as you know. And so one time I was like, uh, I was like, hey, D, I would never ask you to do this, but like, we got to, I was like, I, I want to do something because I'm going to make my friend flip out. So I took a picture with D and I sent it to Brian and yeah. he went crazy, over it, which was, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, but I get it for like, for you guys. And I listen, I didn't go to Illinois, but that team was so, I mean, that, that was such an iconic, you know, like my family went to Illinois. So like, I, I've always had a connection, I think, to the school and uh, to see, that team go all the way, all the way to the final. Like, you know, I remember as a college freshman watching all of those games, just going insane. And uh, I mean, the Arizona game speaks for itself, but sure. you know, just the whole way through, um, you know, I remember where I was, uh, you know, when uh, Matt Sylvester hit that shot. Oh, to make, I do too. Make them, I mean, Legends. like, I, right. I mean, but I mean, until the last, 
three minutes of the season. That was the only bad moment of the whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like when they creamed Wake Forest uh, with Chris Paul, like all these things that occurred all the way up. Uh, There's so many great memories. I mean, that team was just amazing. I feel like that team, if we're talking yeah. about the most impactful teams in the state of Illinois since that Bulls second three P. So let's yeah. say 1998 to now. You got the 06 Bears making the Super Bowl. That was a big deal. And yeah. certainly, you know, that defense, the, all the discussions, are they as good as the 85 defense? And really, if you think about it, same discussions when the 05 Illini team, are they as good as the flying Illini? So you know that you're watching something special when you begin comparing them to the last great team. I guess the White Sox in 05, but no offense to them as much as I know Jeremy and other dudes love their White Sox. That does, yeah. That's more of a niche thing, I feel like, because of the split in Chicago baseball fans, certainly the Cubs in uh, 2016. But, man, that Illinois run in 0405, I mean, that, that captured – I mean, I, I'm guessing even the city of Chicago was just as enamored as we were down here, and it was really cool to be what felt like the center of the universe for about yeah, I mean, six I, months I, I it was. I think so. I think you're right. I mean, honestly, I wasn't in Chicago at the time, so I can't say for sure because um, I was in Syracuse at the time. But I would imagine that that's, that's true. I mean, I think the 16 Cubs, the, you know, the first Blackhawks – uh, the 2010 yeah, championship. Probably, that was a big deal. Are probably the top couple, but that Illinois team is in the top, you know, five or six teams for sure. Um, since the Jordan years, uh, that were, you know, I think even that White Sox team, like just because there was a Chicago baseball team that was going to win the World Series, like the idea of that in Chicago was obviously crazy. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, that Illinois team was iconic for sure. And I think it's, um, you know, just like all those players. I mean, I think any fan of sports in the state can probably name at least D Brown and Darren Williams from that team. So, um, yeah, I mean, a, a totally iconic, uh, incredible team for sure. Jordan, I, I could do this for another couple hours to be honest um we'll, we'll, let, we'll let you get to because i know you got a, a grocery grocery pickup coming up soon and these are the things that we do during <laughs> quarantine i'm just excited to get in the car yeah well, no totally uh so well, i appreciate your time and before we let you go um as you I, I i guess as we all just sort of wait this thing out and hope that when june 1st hits maybe we can enter phase one or phase two of whatever this is in reopening things uh what is the one sports related thing that you are looking forward to the most? What, what will be sort of symbolic to you that, okay, we're, we're getting there. We're getting back. Um, I would say like, you know, uh, pending a, uh, agreement with, um, cable, uh, carriers. If I could watch a Cubs game that was at Wrigley field on my balcony, um, this summer, I would feel like that would be a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if that does not happen and there is no baseball in 2020, that would stink, but I understand. Um, and, you know, hopefully then, you know, if um, I, I guess for me, like it would be great to have sports back, but I think it's going to be weird if it's in empty stadiums with no noise. So uh, I think to have sports back would be great, but I think, Really, to be honest, Carp, that first event when fans are able to fill an arena, whatever yeah. it is, 
is going to feel like it's back to me. Like to, to watch a Cubs game or any team or any sport in an empty venue with no noise, I think is going to be an adjustment for all of us. Um, but I really can't wait until, because I feel like once we get to a point where fans are able to go to an event, it's going to feel like we're past this pandemic. And so um, that, that will be, even if it's going to be a while from now, and I realize we're probably looking at many months from that occurring, I feel like that will be the moment when I feel like things are, are truly bad. Yeah, the last the last impression I had of that would have been the Illinois Iowa game, and that's a hell of a way to go out in terms of spectator sports, and yeah. that's that's a feeling I'll be chasing and and can't wait to experience again, like all of us, especially for someone like you that gets the bird's eye view and you get right up in there with all these events that you're able to call. Well, Jordan, we'll do this again because I mean, hey, we're we're chilling, so <laughs> yeah, my, my calendar's pretty open these days, so <laughs> ditto. So uh, we'll take care, uh, be safe on your grocery run, and uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. You too, and uh, and stay safe and healthy, and uh, best to everybody out there. Excellent. Thanks, Jordan. Take care, bud. Yep, you too. All right, we'll see you. All right, Jordan Burnfield here on the 200 level. As we wrap up, got to remind you, the DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices, and they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That's dpdoe.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for all your life, auto, home, renters, business, you name it, brianismyguy.com. And 4th and Kirby online at 4th and Kirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level or the 200 level for 10% off your order. Again, that's 4th and Kirby.com. All right, judging by Rosie upstairs, I think it's time to wrap this thing up. Appreciate Jordan Burnfield and some very cool bull stories that are especially timely as we enter the third Sunday out of five with the last dance on ESPN. We'll be back next week. We will get Lon on the show. He had some insurance stuff to deal with this week that kept him from being able to hop on yesterday. Flooded basements. We even got some water in our basement too. So totally understand that, but we'll get him on some surprises along the way, trying to finagle a few different guests as well. But for now, have a great weekend. Enjoy the beautiful sunshine and we will see you Monday. It is the 200 level.